morning with the Lord's help, I hope to preach on the subject of should Christians compromise? Is there ever a time that we as Christians should compromise? That we should not be so stubborn to stand for what we believe? Is there ever a time that we should just focus on what maybe we think is more important and let the lesser important things go to the wayside? It's something that we have been pressured to do for ages, and I would, at least in my 20-some years of serving the Lord, in the last five to seven, it is something that has been, uh, we've been pressured to do more than, than any like I said, at least in the last 20 years. This idea of compromise, compromise, compromise. And I want us to look this morning at compromise in the text that we're dealing with. But before I do, I think it's important that I provide context. Most of you are going to be unfamiliar with the passage that I just read. And so I want to take a little bit of time to explain it. Israel has never had a king. God's design for Israel was not to have an earthly king. He was their king. After years of having judges that ruled the Israel people, Israel started looking around at all the other nations and said, hey, all these nations have kings. We want one. God told them it was a bad idea through the prophet Samuel. But they still insisted. God basically said, fine, you're going to get what you want. Which, by the way, is typically how God does it. When we don't want to do it God's way, God warns us. He tells us why not. But he eventually says, fine, do what you want. And suffer the consequences. Well, what's happened is Saul has been named king, but the people can't agree whether or not he should be king or not. And so he's been anointed as king, but he's not really functioning as king yet. The people are a divided people. And Nahash, interestingly enough, the leader of the Ammonites here, his name means serpent. That's what Nahash means, the, the serpent. Nahash decides that he's going to besiege one of these cities that these Israelites live in, and the city is called Jabesh-Gilead. It doesn't really tell us why, other than he just wanted to make a reproach of these people. And so Nahash comes with his army, he surrounds Jabesh-Gilead, and he he just tells the, he tells the city, you guys are besieged. Like, you're surrounded. What are you going to do? And the men, the men of the city, rather than fight back, they literally ask their enemy if they can sign a treaty with their enemy to serve him. And Nahash's answer is, on one condition, you let me gouge out your right eyes of all the men. 
the Ammonites set out to humiliate Israel. That's what they were out to do. And so these men ask if they could make a treaty. Look at it in verse 1, right? Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. The men, rather than fight for their lives, rather than fight for their families, rather than die with integrity, they came up with a plan to compromise and keep the peace. Now, I would suppose if there were ever a time to compromise, it'd be when your life depended on it. If ever there were a time to say, we're going to lay down our integrity, we're going to surrender to the enemy, we're going to serve Satan, it'd be when your life depended on it. And I want us to see this morning how God viewed this event. I want us to see what happened when the Holy Spirit of God got involved. And I want us to answer the question, honestly, is there ever a time that we as Christians should compromise? Four reasons this morning I'm going to share with you that we should never compromise as Christians. Number one, you need to understand something about compromise. Compromise is Satan's strategy to destroy your life. That's his strategy to destroy your life. So the Bible teaches us that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. It teaches us that he is a liar, but it also teaches us about him that he is crafty. Paul says we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so the devil has a scheme to destroy your life. It is a strategy. And he can't just, you know, if he could kill all of us, we'd be dead, folks. Right? So he can't just come in and just cut our heads off and kill all of us. Instead, there is this strategy to destroy our lives, and compromise is one of the key strategies Satan employs to destroy your life. Thrust out all of your right eyes is what the enemy says. It literally means to scoop or hollow out the ball. It is a barbarous mutilation, and it is an unusual punishment in the East, even by barbarians. The savage character of these Ammonites is attested in the book of Amos. In Amos chapter 1 and verse 3, 13, it says this, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. These Ammonites were a ruthless enemy. Folks, you need to understand something. We have a ruthless enemy. Satan is a ruthless enemy. Now listen to me. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. If you are not a Christian, you need to understand something. Satan is not your friend. He is a ruthless enemy of you. The Bible says you might be his child, but trust me, he treats his children like enemies. He is evil. His desire is to destroy your life. 
His desire is to see each and every one of us, Christian or not, end up separated from God in an eternity of hellfire. Satan is a ruthless enemy to mankind. He hates us because we are God's creation. He hates mankind. And it does not matter if you are a Christian or not, Satan hates you. He is ruthless. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy everything there is to destroy about you. He's ruthless. And when we look at Nahash, the serpent here, and we look at the Ammonites and their desire to just humiliate Israel, to humiliate God's people, we are reminded that we have an enemy and a ruthless one. And his strategy to destroy our lives is compromise. Compromise never stops where you want it to. We typically think what we're going to do is compromise now to get out of this situation. But then later, we're going to fix it. It's a slippery slope. You make up your mind that there is a time and place to turn against God. You make up your mind there's a time and place to play and dabble in sin. You make up your mind that there's a time and place to serve the enemy. You will find that that is a slope you will not get off of. When we compromise, we think to ourselves, this is just short term. I'm in a bad situation right now. And so I'm going to make a short term compromise that will hopefully get me out of this short term problem. But the strategy of the enemy is that that compromise leads to long-term consequences. Which in this case, in our text, it certainly would have. You would have ended up with a bunch of men incapable of fighting ever again with their right eye thrust out. In this time, as we all know, they, uh, thousands of years ago, combat was done hand-to-hand. You literally had a shield and a sword. And in most cases... Right-handed people held the shield with their left hand. It covered the left eye, and they saw with the right eye and, and would come out behind that when necessary. You take a right eye out of every man, and you disable those men from ever being effective on the battlefield. That was a long-term play. The men are just thinking, well, let's save our lives now. Let's save our lives now. Let's save our lives now. But there's the long-term play here to destroy these men. There was a much more long-term strategy Satan has when he gets you to compromise. It's meant to destroy your heart. You'll find that when you start compromising, you lose respect for yourself. You do. It's a fact. We've got to wise up and understand this is one of the strategies. We cannot be ignorant of the devil's schemes in our lives, folks. One of his strategies is to get us to compromise. And when we compromise, not only does it lead to long-term consequences we weren't anticipating, but it also leads to immediate remorse, immediate regret, immediate shame, and the sense of, I'm a hypocrite. The sense of, I have no character, I have no integrity. It destroys your respect for yourself. And it destroys the respect others have for you. You'll find that when you start to compromise, it begins to drive a wedge between you and God that only gets bigger if you don't turn and repent. So make no mistake about it, Satan's goal is to destroy your life and the, 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 the train that he puts you on to get there is compromise. 
The second reason that we should never compromise as Christians is because compromise breeds a mindset of defeat. Compromise breeds a mindset of defeat. These men, in their willingness to compromise, already saw themselves as defeated. They already saw themselves, it's over. That's why you would compromise. Compromise says it's already over, I've already lost, and so what I'm going to do is take matters into my own hand and try to figure a way to mitigate my own losses. Compromise says we are defeated. And so if I'm going to be defeated, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to try to figure out how in this defeat to not lose as much as I think I'm going to lose. When I start to have the mindset that it, I, I can give up on the things of God, that I can give up on holiness, that I can give up on, on, on living the life God has commanded me to live, we start to think in defeat. When we look at 1 Samuel chapter 11, what happened to God's people? Where did, how did they get to this place? This, this is a people that are in early Jewish history, early, like hundreds of years early. Hundreds of these people's great-granddaddies walked through the Red Sea. These are people who had family members, who had first-hand accounts of God doing all the miraculous things that He did with the ten plagues of, with, with Pharaoh and leading the people through the Red Sea and feeding them with manna on the other side and water coming from the rock. These are people who had, had, had family members who had firsthand eyewitness accounts of God's miraculous power in their lives. These are people, as I've already explained earlier, who were coming out of the years of judges. And so some of these people... We're talking, you know, descendants of first-hand descendants, maybe grandpa, great-grandpa of people like Samson, people like Gideon. And, and so these, they, they knew that God did and could and was able to destroy their enemies. These weren't just stories they had read on pages. These were the history of their own family. And the question is, how did they get to the place where their first instinct is, we're all going to die? How did they get to the place where their instinct is, well, instead of us all dying, let's let our enemy thrust out our eye and we'll serve our enemy. Compromise, folks. Compromise breeds the mindset of defeat. It's amazing how fast when you start compromising in your life, how much you'll settle. You'll, you, and your compromise might look a little different. You might not be, you know, making a deal with Nahash the Ammonite to thrust out your eye, but what your compromise looks like, it looks like this. Well, I can't be perfect, I can't be holy, so I might as well not even try. Your compromise looks like this. I failed here and I failed here, and I'm tired of feeling ashamed about it, so I'm just going to accept that I am a loser in this area of my life. I am too weak, and I'm just going to be a failure here, and so rather than fight it off, 
rather than stand up for holiness in my life, rather than repent of this thing in my life, I'm just going to accept I am defeated here. This is my vice. This is my weakness. This is my issue. This is my sin, and I'm just going to have to live with it and hope that somehow the blood of Jesus covers me when it's all said and done. And we start making excuses in our own life. And we start seeing ourselves as defeated. We start thinking, I could never overcome that. I could never overcome this issue. I could never have victory in my life over this thing or that thing. And we start seeing ourselves as defeated. And it starts with compromise. It starts in that moment of decision, that moment of choice, when we make the decision to compromise. Compromise sees us as defeated. Compromise says, I'm going to lose. God's not going to do what God said he would do. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to try to at least get something out of this deal, this compromise that I make. And all of a sudden, we start striking deals with the enemy. Where had the elders of Israel gone? I want to speak this morning a little bit to men, spiritual leaders, I know this applies to ladies as well, but in our text, it was the job of the men to stand up for their families. There is no fault to lay at the feet of these women in 1 Samuel chapter 11. It was the job of these men to have some guts and some integrity and some closeness to God and some some fight about them that says, we will not let our families suffer this reproach. What had happened to them? Where are the elders gone? We need men of God again. Willing to stand up and, and, and stand and live for what is true. No matter what may come. Men who say we will not compromise. We will stand for God. We will protect our families. We will protect the truth. We will live for God. And it doesn't matter what comes our way. We will live in our integrity. Number one, compromise is Satan's strategy to destroy your life. Number two, compromise breeds a mindset of defeat. And number three, compromise destroys the power to wage effective spiritual warfare. Which, as I've already said, is really what was after here. This was, this was what, what, what Nahash was after. Was to completely cut them off at the knees in their ability to ever wage war. It would seem as if they would save their lives. But in compromising, they would really lose them. Compromise destroys us. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, that no servant can serve two masters. None. You cannot serve two masters. It's not possible. It's either God's way or it's not. God is either able or he's not. But get off of the fence. And get it settled which master you're going to serve. I want you to consider when we think about compromise. And I, I again ask the question, is there ever a time that we should compromise? I, I want you to consider what I believe is the single greatest statement in all of the Bible that deals with compromise and, 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 and a hard line Absolutely not, never. Okay. You familiar with the story of Moses and the ten plagues? 
Moses comes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to make it harder on you now. All the people get punished. They're angry at Moses. Why would you put us through this? Moses goes to God. God, I thought you were going to let the people go. God basically says, there's still some more work to do, Moses. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him now, if he doesn't let the people go, this plague's going to come. Moses goes back, tells Pharaoh, let the people go or else. Pharaoh says, or else what? Moses says, all right. Moses does what God tells him to do. Plague after plague after plague after plague. Eventually, Pharaoh starts to relent. Eventually. I mean, it takes like seven plagues. But Pharaoh's kind of like, okay. Um, you can go. But you got to come back. And we're going to keep the women and the children. Moses says, nope. That ain't the deal. We're all going. Pharaoh says, fine, you ain't going anywhere. Another plague gets worse. Pharaoh starts to compromise a little bit on his end. And it finally gets to the place, I want you to hear this. It finally gets to the place where Pharaoh says this. You and the people and your wives and your children, every last one of you can go. You're free, go. Just leave some livestock. Listen to what Moses says. We'll see Moses' response in Exodus 10, 26. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. That answer seems so cocky and arrogant. You're not even going to get a single animal. We're talking millions of them. You're not going to get a hoof. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Most of the people there, have they heard Moses' response? And most of us in our modern day Christianity, we would have been like, what is wrong with you? We were free to go! Moses understood something. That was not the command of God. It wasn't about some ultimate just goal. It was about obedience to the clear and undeniable command of God. And God did not give Moses any permission to leave a hoof behind. It didn't matter if it was a million hooves or one hoof. Compromise was compromise. This teaches us something about the heart of God, folks. That we've got to get serious in our own lives, about living according to God's will for our lives. That, that, that in your own life, you probably need to do some inventory this morning and ask yourself, is that really your heart? Is that your spirit? That not a single hoof am I willing to give to the enemy? Not a single hoof, not a single thing that God has given me am I willing to compromise with and say, well, you can have this one, Pharaoh. You can have this one, Satan. You can have this piece of my life. You can have this area of my life. You can have this room in my house. You can have this thing in my life. Is there a hoof in your life that you have said, well, it's not important enough to fight for? Moses understood the assignment. God's instructions did not allow for one hoof. Moses understood that any compromise against God 
was one compromise too much. Moses didn't take it. But this week as I was um, meditating on this, I, the thought came to my mind. And it's just, we don't know. But I'm just telling you what I thought. I wonder what would have happened if Moses would have taken that compromise. Like, we'll never know because he didn't do it. So it's nothing but speculation. But I just wonder if he might well have destroyed the entire mission. This is spiritual warfare, people. Our enemy is real. And I, I, can't, I, don't, I just can't overstress that. Our enemy is real. You know, the, these are not just talks that I give to try to motivate you to live a better life. This is not just metaphorical speech meant to help you have a better moral compass so that you don't make bad decisions that ultimately lead to bad consequences. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. This is real. There is an enemy. His name is Satan. And there are spiritual forces in heavenly places that are deployed to destroy your life. And this is especially true for the Christian. We are the identified enemy of Satan. This is real. And it is time that we wake up and understand the real danger of compromise. So many people never get on a solid ground spiritually because they refuse to quit compromising. They compromise here, compromise here, compromise there, and then they want to be all sad about why their life is in shambles. I don't know what's going on. Yes, you do. Stop. Stop with the nonsense. Get honest with yourself. Quit lying to yourself. Quit lying to me. Quit lying to everybody on Facebook. You know exactly why you're where you are. You refuse to quit compromising in your life. Just get honest about it. Compromise is destructive the enemy's tool in your life to cut you off at the knees so that you cannot wage effective spiritual warfare in your life. And it is a decision. It is a choice. It is a conscious choice. One where you know this is wrong. This is sinful. I should not do this thing, but I'm going to do it anyways. It is Satan's strategy to disable you from the fight. To get you to compromise. It cuts the spiritual power off, folks. Not only in your own life, but it kills our witness. It kills our ability to go out and, and try to stand for anybody else. And ultimately, as Nahash said, the goal was that these people would become a... a uh, his, his thought was, instead of kill them, we'll couch out that right eye. And what Nahash said was, they will be a reproach in all of Israel. So when we compromise, it actually brings reproach upon all the church. When the same thing happens to us, it makes us a reproach in the eyes of the world. Four reasons we should never compromise with the truths of God and God's word. Number one, compromise is Satan's strategy. 
to destroy your life. Number two, compromise breeds a mindset of defeat. Number three, it destroys your ability to wage effective spiritual warfare. And number four, compromise angers God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. The Spirit of God rushes upon Saul and the thing that follows is great kindled anger. If you want to know clearly what the heart of God is towards compromising, pay attention to this verse. The Spirit of God rushed upon him and his anger became great. This is a righteous anger. It is a holy anger. It's the type of anger that caused Jesus to come in to his temple and throw over tables and drive people out. It's important for us to understand that God is a God of righteous anger. One of the, the, the lies that has been permeating the church for decades, ages, is the idea that God does not get angry when we sin. That is a lie from the pits of hell. God hates sin. God hates compromise. And God is angered by the sins of His people. I'm going to take just a little rabbit trail. I'm going to say thank God for the blood of Jesus. And thank God that none of us do get it right and therefore we need Jesus and we need a Savior, folks. Thank God that when we get it wrong, when we do, thank God for the blood of Jesus. But the multitudes who trample on the blood of Jesus and use the sacrifice of Jesus as an excuse to sin against a holy God, it is pathetic. It is compromise and it angers the heart of God. And if you don't know that and you don't believe that and you're duped by the devil and you think, oh, God don't care if you sin. Doesn't bother God at all if you sin against God. Doesn't bother God at all if you're out there doing this, doing that, sinning against God, compromising in your life. God don't care. He's just happy. He just loves you. He just wants to give you a big old hug. If you believe that garbage, which is peddled in our current culture, you'll find that you have no guts about you to fight for what is right in your life. And to fight for holiness. And to have a sense of conviction about you. I shouldn't be toying. With the things of Satan. Compromise angers God. God hates it. Compromise is literally sin. And I want to say this. This, this will take some. Holy Spirit help in your heart to believe what I'm about to tell you and it takes a little discernment when we look at the landscape of our day. Just like Saul became enraged when the Spirit of God came upon him, so too will we be enraged with compromise in the people of God when the Holy Spirit is truly upon us.
And if we are not, if we look around at the landscape and we see the compromise of God's people, we see the nonsense being peddled to us, we look around at it and we see the compromise coming out from the pulpits of this country, and there is not a sense of being enraged with that, It must be because the Holy Spirit is not upon us as it was upon Saul. When we see pastors making excuses and trying to make people feel better about remaining in their sin, and that doesn't enrage us, there is a problem. When I see a man stand on a stage and tell people, that in essence, it's okay to sin. That it's okay to compromise. We all do it. So don't make a big deal of it. Here's what I know. That man is not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not saying he's not a Christian. I'm not willing to go that far. What I'm saying is I do not want to be taking instructions from somebody on a pulpit, behind a pulpit, that's supposed to be teaching me this that instead is trying to make sure the sinners have no conviction about their sin. You don't want to be listening to that man. You don't want to be listening to that woman. You don't want to be taking spiritual instructions from somebody like that, folks. Because compromise angers the heart of God. And anybody who tells you different is lying to you. They're compromising. He was angry. One of the things that he says, and I, I want to I turn this morning to, so, so what is the solution? Saul said this. He said, what's everybody weeping about? He heard, and then he was in anger. This is how I wrote it in my notes. Saul was angry to see his brothers crying about defeat when they should have been preparing for war. That's the way I see the text. He was angry when he looked at his brothers and saw they're crying in defeat, worried about being destroyed, rather than preparing for battle. And so here's the conclusion here. In the short 11 verses, the last two, they tell us, the Ammonites ended up being destroyed. And the Ammonites were pretty cocky. Because if, if you... We read the text together. The, uh, the, the, Ammonite, the, the Israelites said, hey, let us send help to everyone. Let's just send word to everybody. If nobody comes to help us, then we'll surrender. The Ammonites said, oh, great idea. Because, you know, they didn't believe anybody was going to come to help. They didn't believe that. They thought, nobody's coming for you. You guys are so divided. You're all cowards. The rest of everybody's just like the men of Jabesh Gilead. Nobody's coming to your rescue. Sure, we'll give you seven days. Because that'll be even more humiliating when the word comes back that you sent for help and nobody came. But it started with one man. When the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And this was actually the defining moment in Saul's life where he ends up taking the stage and, and immediately following this great victory, he becomes the, uh, the, 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 the uh, democratic king, if you will, where everybody comes around him and says, yeah, this is the guy who needs to be leading us. But it started with righteous anger, and I want you to see that. 
This is a hard answer for today's pansy Christians who think that the only way forward is that we hug people to cut, you know, hug our enemies and that we just love people constantly to the point that somehow that changes things. No, there is a certain time that a righteous anger must overtake us for what is evil. And we must be willing to say what is true. We have been duped into believing that somehow there is never a time and place for a righteous anger and nothing could be further from the truth. We have been duped into believing that loving people means that we never say anything hard. That's, that's absurd. That somehow if I love a person, that means that I have to agree to their delusion. That somehow if I love a person, I must agree that their decisions are good for them. That's absurd. It's so crazy, it's so stupid, even just saying it. Every one of us knows, well, that's stupid. But that is the way we've been, that's the way it's been pushed. That's the narrative that we live in. There comes a time that a certain righteous anger must rise up in the hearts of, of God's people where we say enough is enough. Evil is evil. It is destroying people. And I will not say anything otherwise. And I will not preach anything otherwise. There is a very real enemy who is the destroyer of your soul. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And this is his strategy to destroy you and to destroy the rest of us. And God's answer to the problem was a righteous anger that came upon somebody who was angry enough to do something about it. Until we hate what God hates, we will not fight what God fights. Until we are angered by, by what angers the heart of God, we will not stand with God against the evils of this world. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would get in place. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. The man was enraged and he was willing to stand and do what others would not. But do not miss it. Then others followed. You know what I have found is that normally even people that are afraid to stand up for what they know is right. When they have somebody that's willing to lead them in the right direction. There's a lot of people willing to get behind it and say yeah. Yeah, I'm actually on this ship. I should have been where Saul was, but I wasn't, but I am now. I want to close with an interesting verse in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. And I want to explain the verse before I read it. God's basically saying, concerning His own people, that he has to bring down punishment upon them because they've continued in their sin. Again, we have compromise happening. And God is sharing his heart with Ezekiel. And he's, he's giving the people a word. Telling them, I, I wish there would have been another way. But there's not. And here's why. Look what he says. Ezekiel 22 verse 30. God said, I sought for a man. Among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land. That I should not destroy it. But I found none.
there was one man, the man Moses, that had an experience at a burning bush that would change the course of history for his people. There was one man of whom the Holy Spirit of God would come upon and the anger of God would consume him and he would say, I would rather die fighting than let my brothers have their eyes gouged out. God would use that one man's soul to lead an army to deliver his people. It often just takes one. Sometimes in your own family, maybe you've got a family and your family needs turned around. It just takes one person in the family that's willing to get serious about serving God. Sometimes it's a church that is weak and anemic and it's not doing anything for God. And it just takes one man, one woman, who catches on fire for God, who has a passion for God, and it starts to turn things around in that little local church. This morning, from the very beginning of me meditating on this message, writing my notes and preaching it, this morning I've had a consciousness that my message is really aimed at about five people this morning. Most people will know that what I said is true and they will walk out those doors and continue to make excuses for their compromise. I know that. I already knew. My hope two groups of people. Five to ten of you here this morning. My hope is that there's some of you in your own personal life that you're compromising and this morning God's calling you to holiness and there's a sense of faith that's growing up in your heart right now where you start to realize, now wait a second, I do not have to live defeated the rest of my life. I do not have to stay on this path that I have been on. And for that individual, I'm preaching to you this morning. Secondly, I'm hoping for some brothers and sisters of mine who are willing to say, you know what? It does not matter what the Christian culture is doing. We're willing to stand up and be true.